0: Well, hey, Hope City, it's great to be with you today. We are continuing our series, You Mad Bro?, looking at the moments that made Jesus mad. And our heart behind this whole thing is to have our hearts as a church align with the heart of Christ. And that's our goal uh, as we look at these mad moments. And throughout the series, we've been filling in this RAGE acronym to help us remember these Mad moments of Jesus uh, as we talked about us getting angry about our rightness and Jesus being passionate about reconciliation. Uh, last week we talked about getting upset about our appearances and Jesus is passionate about our authenticity. This week we're talking about being good enough and how that riles us up. Verse Jesus' desire, his goal, his passion for grace. He's all about grace. We're all about being good enough. And we're going to look at a moment where Jesus exposes the Pharisees for prioritizing rules over a person. But to get us into this idea, I found some incredibly crazy policies from companies, uh, well-known companies, and I'm sure we've all worked at our fair share of interesting employers. We'll just say interesting for right now. But I'm not sure that I can relate to some of these extreme policies. Let's take a look. For example, Abercrombie and Finch they have a rule that says you can only have natural-looking haircuts. I'm not sure what a natural-looking haircut is, but it says no excessive coloring or bleaching. Your hair can only look like it's been sun-kissed, just kissed by the sun. How about at Disney Parks? At Disney Parks, their employees are instructed not to point with one finger. You need to point with two fingers, three fingers, or your whole hand. You cannot point with one because to point with one finger could actually be taken as an offense. So they say our company policy is: Hey, Mickey, point with three fingers. Right? Uh, that's that's their policy. The New York Yankees have a policy about facial hair. The only facial hair that is acceptable is mustaches, any beards or hair beyond the ears to the or past the collar is actually not allowed by the New York Yankees. Even today, this rule was instituted back in the '60s and '70s because Steinbrenner didn't want them looking like a bunch of hooligans and hippies. But even now, in 2021, they can only have mustaches and nice, clean cuts. Last two. One, there were some hospitals in the UK. This is no joke. They, they had a company policy that their employees could not drink coffee or tea while working because they didn't want customers to get the wrong impression. I don't know what impression that is, that they need coffee or tea to stay awake. I don't know what it is that they like coffee or tea, but they could not drink coffee or tea. For some of you right now, I know that's a game changer. You would not work there. Last one, and this is the coup de grace, this is the creme de la creme. A Norwegian insurance company had a policy that you could only use the restroom for an eight minute break. They didn't want people hanging out too long in that restroom. And so literally, they would have this light that would flash in the bathroom if your break was longer than eight minutes. I don't know about you, but I don't know that that's where I wanna do business. That's a pun. All right, Uh, there we go. I know these examples seem a bit extreme and excessive But in reality, in life, we create standards, rules, expectations, policies, spoken and unspoken. We have them in church, we have them in work, we have them in our social lives, in our families. We have all of these rules, and we impose these things on other people. And much like the the companies, the Pharisees of the time, the religious leaders of the time, they had policies, they had rules. And in this story that we're going to look at, we see that they valued policy, over people, and that made Jesus upset. In Mark chapter three is where we're gonna read today. Mark chapter three, verses one through six, we're gonna see this mad moment of Jesus. It says, another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he could heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked him, asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, his hand was completely restored, and then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And this story is not emphasizing the power to heal that Jesus has. The main point of the story isn't if Jesus could heal. We see that in verse 2. The Pharisees are surrounding Jesus, watching to see if he would heal. Not if he could heal, but would he heal on the Sabbath and do what? Break their rules. They had stern, strict rules about the Sabbath. You see, in their minds, the Sabbath was this sacred day. Based on the laws of Moses, the Sabbath was this time of rest. They stopped working. They stopped doing everything so that they could rest. And that was something that was passed down for generations. But the Pharisees took it, and they went to the extreme, like Norwegian insurance company Bathroom Break Extreme. They, they had these set of rules or laws added to Moses' law called the Mishnah, and that elevated them to an extreme. So, for example, they couldn't work on the Sabbath but the Pharisees took it to the extreme and said, well, not only can you not work on the Sabbath, but we're going to take it a step further. When you spit, when you want to get some saliva out, you have to spit on a rock. Because if you spit on a rock, that's fine. If you spit on dirt, well, that dirt is going to mix with the, with the saliva and make mud. And to make mud would qualify as work. And so to work on the Sabbath is against the law. So do not spit in the dirt. Spit on rocks. I mean, that's extreme, right? And the idea here that they're watching Jesus with the potential of him healing on the Sabbath, well, to heal would be to work on the Sabbath, which would be, again, to break their rules, putting policy above people. So Jesus asks a question. He diffuses the situation for a moment and says, well, what's the Sabbath even for? You guys are all caught up in keeping the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath for? Is it about doing good or doing evil? Is it about saving lives or killing?" And it's a great question for us to reflect on. What is the point of keeping the Sabbath? It is all about what? It's about rest, yes, but it's about restoring. The Sabbath restores us. It's about stopping work and resting and and not being busy doing a bunch of other things. What does that do? It restores your body. It's about learning to trust God, and by not working, we're not gonna work uh, you know, just continuously to try to provide and, and, and worry about our finances and do all this uh, stressful activity. So what does Sabbath do? It restores our mind. to have to stop and trust God more than we trust in our capacities. It's about prioritizing God, taking time to worship him and pray and reflect and do all these things. What does that do? It restores your soul. You see, Sabbath is about restoring you, both in mind, body, and in soul. And, and they had gotten so blind to the Sabbath Became just a policy, became just a rule. They forgot why the rule even existed. Why were they even supposed to protect the Sabbath and keep the Sabbath? And, and looking at this moment where Jesus is going to heal this man's hand, what is Jesus doing? He's going to restore the man. And, and he's doing exactly what the Sabbath was all about restoration. But this angers the religious leaders. And I want you to think for a moment why are they so mad? What are the religious leaders? mad about. Because it says after this healing, what happens? They go and they kind of group up and plot Jesus's death. Like they want to kill him. They want to murder him. And so you see this anger brewing within the religious leaders. Why are they so mad at Jesus? Jesus won't follow their rules. He's breaking their rules. And in fact, these rules that they've entrusted their whole livelihood on, right? This idea that if I follow these rules, well then, I'm going to be good enough, and God will say that I'm good enough, and then God will love me, and I will get into heaven. You see the progression that they make. If I follow these rules, God's going to say I'm good enough. God will show me his grace. But Jesus over here, he's breaking the very rules that are so important to me. Jesus does Not only does Jesus break the rules, he just doesn't fit in their box. He's not complying with their system, and so they get upset at him. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're a lot like the Pharisees. And I want to ask us some questions to reflect on for a moment. Maybe we're not mad at Jesus for healing and doing something good, but let's pause and think about how we put rules on people. Think for a moment. Who in your life do you have rules or expectations of? Who in your life do you have rules or expectations, spoken or unspoken? You've got some sort of standard for people in your life. Who are they? Just quickly identify them. It's it's Quite a laundry list when you start thinking about your spouse, your kids, your roommate, uh, friends in your life, your pastor, you got rules or expectations of me, uh, your boss, your co-workers, maybe even God. Maybe you've got rules and expectations of God. You, you expect things from him. Now, Now that we've thought about the who, I want you to think about, well, what are you expecting of them? What are those expectations, those standards that you have? Think about the expectations you have of your kids, or your family, your household, your friends, your boss, whatever it is. Think about those relationships and what do you expect? You expect them to listen to you. You expect them to maybe obey instructions, to initiate and reach out to you when you haven't been connecting in a long time, to, to answer you when, you when you speak, right? To respond back, to return a text, to return a call, to engage in conversation. You expect that of people. Maybe you expect that people are gonna show up. Or show up on time. Maybe punctuality is your thing. You expect that people clean their messes. You expect that people will uh, show you respect and honor and dignity. We have all kinds of expectations on people. Now I want you to think about your anger level. What's your anger level when people don't follow those rules? When people don't meet those expectations, what's your anger like? probably different based on each person, each scenario, and each infraction. And so it's going to vary, but there is an anger brewing within us. We get mad because people aren't meeting our spoken and unspoken expectations. The Pharisees are mad at Jesus because he's not meeting their expectations. They expected him to honor the Sabbath. He's not doing that, and so they are upset. And more deeply, they're upset because it's a sign of disrespect. Something that they honor, something that they value, something that they have a reverence for, he is disrespecting it by not complying with them. But I want you to follow that anger down a little bit deeper, asking yourself about what you get angry about. Could it be that we are getting angry because of a deeply rooted insecurity that we feel inside? Follow that down. Trace it down, if you will. We'll get to the Pharisees in a second, but I want you to think about yourself. Right, that we would have this deeply rooted, even unspoken and unarticulated insecurity within us that is actually propelling us towards anger. Think of a parent getting upset at their kid for striking out in Little League. They they yell and scream and and belabor the kid with, with criticism. It's not because of the kid's performance. But maybe it's because of this insecurity that they are unsatisfied or unfulfilled of their sports career when they were in high school or college or little league. And they're hoping and, 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 and hoping to just infuse all of that energy into the kid and see their kid succeed where they failed. And there's disappointment and insecurity lying deep below the surface. Think about maybe we get upset at people when they forget us. But maybe there's a deep insecurity within us realizing, you know what? I've neglected people too. We get upset when people are disrespectful and have an have a outburst or a tantrum. But deep within us, there's this remorse and this guilt and this shame of, you know what, I have a short fuse. You know what, I lack self-control. But I'm gonna get mad at my kid for treating me like that. But inside, we know I struggle with this too. And I'm ashamed of that. You see, it's, it's this shame, it's this insecurity, this, this, all of this that's brewing below the surface. I think about the angry Pharisees and their anger towards Jesus, I think is actually revealing this insecurity and this fear within them that they've put all of their faith into a system that is actually a house of cards. They've put their whole faith system onto this works-based theology that their worth is determined based on their works. I'm only good enough if I check all the boxes, if I do all the rules. And then they see Jesus breaking the rules, and they see Jesus doing something incredible, like healing, something that they never got to see happen, something that they're kind of jealous about, or feeling some shame, feeling some insecurity. Are we putting all of our faith into this system of if I act good enough, I will feel good enough, And then God will say that I'm good enough, realizing that that's a house of cards. And it just propels them towards anger. They're angry at Jesus, but are they also angry at the system that they're following? And I want us to reflect or think about this question. How is my insecurity about not feeling good enough actually fueling my anger? How is my insecurity about not feeling good enough actually fueling my anger? Only you can answer that question. I can't answer that for you. But there's areas of our life where we don't feel good enough. We lack validation, we lack affirmation, we lack that self-worth. And so we strive to grades and job titles and, and accomplishments, promotions, awards, rules. We lean into spiritual legalism and try to follow all the rules of the Bible. If I can be obedient to all the Ten Commandments and all the other rules and do everything to perfection, then people will like me. God will like me. We work excessively to achieve so that our worth can be determined. Our worth becomes based on our works. Why? Because we're striving for this elusive feeling of being good enough. We get angry when we don't feel good enough. We feel this this desire that's propelling us towards wholeness and completeness. And when that validation slips through our fingers, because it will, it's like sand, it's gonna just slip through our fingers, we get what? Angry. We get angry at the system. Ah, these hoops I have to jump through, it's messed up, it's unreasonable, this is impractical. We get mad at other people. It's their fault. They messed it up. They're holding me back. We blame. We point fingers. We get angry at ourselves. I'm the failure. I'm not good enough. God doesn't love me. I'll never measure up. And the truth is, if we can be honest with ourselves, I think we're a lot like the Pharisees. Harnessing and channeling this anger and this deep-rooted insecurity of not being good enough, not feeling good enough, not feeling worth enough. But we see what the the Pharisees are mad about. But but let's stop and talk about for a moment, what is Jesus mad about? I get what, what humanity gets upset about, but what is Jesus mad about? Think about for a moment, why is he upset in this situation? It says in Mark that he got mad. It's that the religious leaders' hearts had become so hardened and callous that they didn't get the heart of God. They didn't understand what God was trying to do in that moment. They would have literally denied a man healing for the sake of their policy. Think about that. No, you can't be healed right now. You got to continue to walk around with this injury or this 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 this, uh, this ailment. You you got to continue that for right now because this is our policy. We don't heal on on Sabbath. Their stubbornness. And legalism to uphold the rules is actually going to prevent a man from encountering the power of God, from encountering the presence of God, a move of God, transformation by God. You wonder what makes Jesus mad? It's that right there. It's the denied access to God. That This man needed to have access to the living God, to his creator, to his heavenly father, to the power of God moving in his life, and their system, their legalism, their rules was going to inhibit that. Their policy was going to keep him from that, and Jesus gets upset when we get in the way between him and humanity. Jesus came to create a clear pathway of access between humanity and God, and the Pharisees were obstructing that this works-based worth, this effort-based spirituality, this idea of earning God's love. It's a dangerous system, and that's why Jesus gets upset because he refers to them as blind guides. In Matthew 15, 14, he refers to the Pharisees as blind guides, right? He says, leave them, they are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both fall into a pit. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Now, if you wanna live this scripture out, What I recommend is you try to find your way to Costco with your blindfold on and tell someone else to follow you with a blindfold on and see how well you get there, right? See if you can get to Costco all the way, blind, leading the blind. No, I really don't recommend you doing that. That would be a scary version of follow the leader. Please protect yourself. Don't do that. But you get Jesus' point here. These spiritual influencers are blind. They've bought into a house of cards system all about works-based worth being good enough based on what you do. And not only is it affecting their relationship with God, it's affecting other people. And both parties fall into the pit. They're convincing other people that they don't need God's grace to to have their sins forgiven. That they don't need to rely on God's grace to be saved. That they can just perform well enough, be good enough, clean themselves up, and they will be good enough to get into heaven. That's a contaminated message. I'll tell you why it's a contaminated message, because if we could save ourselves based on being good enough, then Jesus doesn't need to die. Jesus doesn't have to go on the cross. He doesn't need to rise from the dead. There was no need for his life and ministry, death and resurrection. There's no need for it, because if I can get right with God on my own, why do we need Jesus? So you contrast their system of being good enough and earning all of this and 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 living this out and earning God's love, you contrast that with Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his life. And it's about grace. Jesus was passionate about bringing grace into this world. This grace is an undeserved favor, this unmerited love, this unearned extension of love. It's undeserved, unearned. You see, we care about being good enough, but Jesus cares about grace. And you see this in his response. Mark records that Jesus was angry in the moment, but did you notice what else it said? It said that his anger was accompanied with what? A feeling of being distressed. So he's got this momentary anger at the situation, but it's accompanied with this distress, this sadness, this breaking of his heart, this grief. That he's feeling wrecked inside. Why? Because he's not just angry. He's grieving. He's saddened. And I think that that emotion that's coming out of him, this emotion that he's feeling shows his compassion for people. It shows this grace that he has for people, that he he wants them to understand the love of God. He wants them to understand a relationship with God and how to be forgiven of their sins. He wants to understand that eternity is for them, but it's not something you earn, it's something you just receive. John 3.16, what does John say? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right, That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's that's the heart of God. He didn't send his son to condemn the world but to save the world. And so when he is angry but he's distressed simultaneously, I think you begin to see this grace in his response. And I think it's a great personal takeaway for us that in our angry moments, we're going to have some mad moments, aren't we? In our mad moments, would we pray to not just be angry, to not just get upset. I don't think we need to pray to get upset. But in our anger, could we pray that we would be filled with compassion? That God would break our hearts. The next time you're angry at your kids, would you, would you catch yourself and begin to pray, God, give me compassion in this moment. Next time you're angry at your spouse or your roommate or your boss or a stranger on the street, would you pray to have your heart break like Jesus' in this moment? To be filled not only with this, ah, this tension, this frustration, but to be filled with compassion, to be filled with grief, to have a sorrow that floods in rather than a rage. What does that look like? It's it's extending them empathy. It's, It's walking in their shoes. It's trying to see things from their perspective. It's looking at all the variables and saying, what's influencing this situation right now? It's having your heart break for them, not for what? what you want. It might even be just assuming positive intent. But they aren't trying to make you mad, they aren't trying to tick you off. Could we see it differently with a compassion, with a grace? The second thing I think we see in this moment is did you notice that Jesus asked a question in verse 4? In his in this situation, this hostile moment, what does Jesus do? He asks a question. And asking questions can sometimes diffuse The emotion of what's going on. This open question that's just like, hey, what's the Sabbath all about? What's the point of the Sabbath? Is it about this or is it about this? And what is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to ask questions to get them to see what's going on. Will you pause for a second and see the situation for what it is? And he does that not with a stern correction and say, wake up, guys, come on. Right? He does that other times. But in this moment in Mark chapter three, what does he do? He asks a question. I think by asking a question, it's showing you a grace, a, a patience, a, a compassion for those in that moment to say, I'm going to let you connect the dots here. I'm going to let you have this light bulb revelation moment. Will you see it? The Sabbath is about restoring people. Hello, do you see this? And I wonder if we took that same approach in our, in our mad moments. The next time that we're upset, could we calmly, one, be filled with compassion for the person, but two, stop and begin to ask questions. Not to point out they're wrong, but to help them see the full picture, the full perspective. To, see, to, seek, to, be under, uh, to seek to understand rather than just be understood. A lot of times in our anger, we want to be understood. Asking questions helps us to understand understand their perspective, their interpretation, where they were coming from. It helps us with empathy to ask questions, asking open-ended questions rather than yes or no questions, right? Taking time to get to the heart of the issues with people. And that shows a grace. shows patience. It shows care and compassion. It's about contending for the same grace that Jesus contended for in that moment. He wanted grace for the man He wanted the grace for everyone else in the crowd, and he wanted the grace for these Pharisee leaders to see the truth. I want to wrap up by illustrating what we're talking about, this idea of being good enough versus grace. And I want to just compare for a moment two shows that my family has recently stumbled upon thanks to Hulu. One is American Ninja Warrior, this incredible obstacle course game show where these people are superhuman, like super fit, like incredible athletes, and only a few will actually make it to the end because they're doing these extravagant obstacles. And most of them, they get all hyped up. They tell you their, their sa- sa- sappy story. I'm in tears watching it. It's very emotional, all this. Then they go and they, they have like eight obstacles to get through. And they end up only getting through one, two, maybe three of them at a time. And people, boom, they fall. And once they fall, I remember watching it thinking, oh, they get to try again. Nope, they're done. If you fall, you're done. It's over. And I remember watching it thinking like, all of that hype, all of that training, all of that work, and the auditions, and the, and the work, and the sit-ups, and the crunches, and the pull-ups, and everything that they've done, and boom, in 30 seconds, it's over. It's a situation where uh, it's a lot like what humanity does with our spiritual tendencies, right? We create this spirituality like American Ninja Warrior, full of religious obstacles and impossible uh, thresholds so that we can watch people navigate these holy hoops, but only the few The proud, the super spiritual are going to get there. It's this religious message of doing good works makes me good enough for God's grace. Doing good works makes me good enough for God's grace. This was the Pharisees' approach. This is the religious approach. This is what a lot of Christians can sometimes get caught up in. Doing good works makes me good enough for God's grace. But then we watch this other show, Wipeout. We watched a show called Wipeout. It's a much goofier game show. Silly obstacles. Uh, you're watching people fall off, and then they can move on to the next challenge. It was like, wait a second. They didn't complete the challenge. They just, boink, they fell off, and they got to move on to the next thing, right? Or they get to climb back up onto the obstacle and try again, and then they'd fall, and they'd try again, and they try, and they fall again. Our kids are just laughing, and oh my goodness, this is so funny. Boom! The kids are, you know, cracking up at people getting Wipeout, Wipeout, out. But They didn't kick people off simply because they fell off. They got another try and another try and another try. And I'm watching Wipeout, and I'm comparing that to American Ninja Warrior, and I see a huge contrast. Jesus came to bring a system much like Wipeout, involving ordinary people. I mean, these are just ordinary average Joes. These aren't superhuman people. And he knows that we're going to go through these obstacles in life and we're going to wipe out. We're going to get hit upside the head and times and, and get flipped upside down and everything. But Jesus is going to pick us back up and put us on the journey. He's going to brush us off and keep us going. He's going to cover us in grace, not in perfection. Religion says it's all about American Ninja Warrior spirituality. And Jesus came to bring a message of grace, which is like, hey, you're going to wipe out, but I'm going to be here for you. Jesus' message was God's grace says you're good enough. God's grace says you're good enough and stirs you, and that stirs you, to do good works. It helps us see what what that journey is like. God's grace says that you are good enough, and that right there stirs you to do good works, not the other way around. And so today, I think, is this incredible reminder as we look at this story to experience the grace of Jesus. We need to experience that, this undeserved love that forgives us of our sin and gives us a fresh start, provides a path to relationship with God for today and for the rest of eternity. That's a huge promise for us. And that's by grace, not by perfection. He wants that for you. He's fighting for that for you, that you would experience that kind of grace. And I want that for you too. And then, today is a reminder that we be people who extend that same grace to others, not creating impossible obstacle courses and standards and policies and, and holy hoops for people to jump through, not expecting them to be perfect, but we extend them the same grace that we've experienced. They're gonna wipe out, but we're gonna walk with them just like Jesus would walk with them. And you see that is the heart of our church. That's the heart of your church, Hub City. That's our heart, is that we create this low threshold for people to be welcomed into the family of God and see that they are loved by God and experience the grace of God. But here's where the rubber meets the road. That that same grace, this is where it's gonna get tricky for us. I would encourage you to pray about this and and see how this gets lived out in this next season. Where the rubber meets the road is that we will extend that same grace to situations when we get mad with people. When we get mad because people will fail us, they will hurt us, disappoint us that people in our church and people in our life are not going to live up to those spoken and unspoken expectations. But in our mad moments, we will contend for the grace that Jesus has shown us to be extended into our relationships with those folks. That's our heart, church. That's our prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for us right now, those of us that just need to experience your grace, your forgiveness, your love. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We don't merit it. We can't buy it. But God, there there may be some right now that just feel like, Sean, I'm I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm selfish. I'm detoured. I'm off, off the track. And God, right now, I just pray for your grace to just flood our circumstances, flood our hearts and our minds with this love, that is so real and so transformative. Forgive us of our sin and give us a fresh start, a new beginning today, God. And I pray, God, for our church to be a church that extends grace, extends grace to the people within the body of Christ and the people outside of the body of Christ. God, we want to be people who, in our anger, can find and contend for grace that we'd be patient and compassionate, that our hearts would break. Help us to be an extension of your love, even in our mad moments. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.